0: Most of us, our experiences with teaching and scripture are, are limited to what we hear in church. Maybe some of us, uh, what we hear in our car or on a podcast, something like that. But most of the time, uh, what, we, what we know about um, God, we, we were taught in, in communities like this, where we sit in rows, it's kind of the Western mindset, and we learn and maybe we take a note. However... In the Eastern world, the world that Jesus grew up in, it was really a lot different. In fact, most of the stories that you know about Jesus, most of of the things that have built your faith, Jesus did not teach anybody in a temple. Jesus taught them as he walked with them, as he was on the road with them, as he was eating with them. And and they were taught through a conversation. You know, it's fascinating that this is how we know about who Jesus is. And as I've said to you, if you want to know who John really is... You know, I'd like to think I'm the same guy up here as I am at home, um, but I'm probably better up here. Uh, um, Or some of you are going, you're not that good up there. (laughs) But, uh, you know, so what we're trying to do is get a look at at what Jesus, who this Jesus is, apart from maybe some of the things he was teaching in the temple and in the synagogue. So that's been behind what we've been looking at. And today we're going to finish kind of strong, because I'm going to ask you to ponder two really profound questions, and these are going to overarch the whole, the whole um, time this morning. They're profound questions, and I'm going to lead into a false series um, that I think is going to be the most important thing that I've ever taught here at Mendham Hills, um, and it's going to be called Defining the Relationship. If you have a teenager, they could talk, talk to you about DTR talks, where some long, somewhere along the line, somebody has to sit down with somebody else and say, hey, we need def- to define this relationship. Maybe we've misunderstood our relationship with God. Are you open to that possibility? Maybe you've gotten it wrong. Maybe you didn't understand it. And when when you you get it wrong, when you you misidentify the relationship, it leads to frustration in your Christian experience because all the things you were told aren't coming true and and dryness and disappointment. And it it just just, there's a general level of misunderstanding. I'm going to show you a little bit of that today. I'm going to hope you guys are going to make it a priority to bring here. We're going to start that series in two weeks. What a great series to bring a friend to, somebody that you you know might need to hear the gospel explained maybe in a different way than the traditional way it's been explained. I think think this can bring and tear down a lot of walls. Now, for most of us, I think what you're going to realize, and I realized it as I've been studying it, so much of the way I thought my relationship with God worked has really just been a gigantic adventure in missing the point. And you're going to see that this morning. So let's hit the streets with Jesus um, for the last time this summer. And we're going to do it through the writings of Luke. Luke wrote one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke was a physician, and most people would say that Luke presented his Gospel in maybe the most historian-like fashion. It was written so that um, Theophilus might, might uh, this guy who was writing it too, might believe who, in who Jesus was. He was trying to convince somebody of, of Jesus being the risen Savior. So he wrote a lot of history as opposed to maybe John whom, whose gospel is more spiritual in nature. Now, in order, and you know I say this to you all the time, right? In order to really understand the story, you need to enter the story. Not just read it and go, I know that story. You need to enter it. So Luke tells us, and, and this is Luke's brilliance, he puts these stories back to back to conversations Jesus had with rich guys. In order that we might enter the story, though, the first thing we have to do is put ourselves in that conversation. Now, most of us find it hard to put ourselves in the story as the rich guy. If you're like me and like most of us in North America, we tend to read the Scripture and we tend to think of ourselves as uh, the burden, the oppressed, the marginalized, the ones just trying to get by, right? We tend to see ourselves, like if you see Jesus yelling at a rich guy, you tend to say, yeah, get the rich guy. Um, or you tend to kind of put yourself on the outside of the conversation. He's not really talking to me or at me. I'm just kind of, I'm reading about this, Right. Um, we misidentify, and when we misidentify ourselves in the story, th- the power of the story tends to go away. I mean, if I handed out cards to you guys, and I said, okay, tell me where you, who you are social stratus-wise. If I said, you know, identify yourself as low class, that should have, it didn't really, <laughs> lower class, I think, <laughs> that's what I meant. Lower class, middle class, or, or upper class, where do you think the vast majority of people would, in our room would say they are? Middle class, right? Very few of us are gonna go, whoa, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm rich. But I wanna make sure you get this story right. I know a lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck. I get that, and that might be true. But us living paycheck to paycheck is really more about our choices than it is our riches. So in order that you might enter the story as the right character, Darren's gonna put something up that's pretty cool. You can go home and play with this, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's called the Global Rich List Wealth Calculator. It's very cool. Now, there's two ways to measure our wealth relative to everybody that lives in the world. We can look at our wealth. Those are the things, the things we have. That's what we own. It's our 401ks, our cars, our houses, our investments, or our income. Now, we're not going to be here all day, so we'll just do income for now, right? So we are Mendham Hills Community Church, and uh, so we're going we're to look at what might be the income here. Now, I, can already, I already hear some of you. I can hear your spirits going, whoa, 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 I don't live in Mendham. I don't live in Mendham. I live in Brookside. That's not Mendham. <laughs> I live in Chester. My kids just go to Mendham High School, so, you know, don't, I'm not rich. Those people over on Mendham Road, they're rich. <laughs> but I don't live in Mendham. So in order that we might not fight over that, here's what we're going we to do. Just take, most of you are from Morris County. Not all of you, but most of you are from Morris County. So we'll just take the median household income for Morris County to get some global perspective on who we are. Okay, so the, the median household income in Morris County, New Jersey is $97,979. So Darren's going to pop that in, $97,979. and let's just see, you know, here we are in Morris County. This includes areas that are not as wealthy as our areas. If you have the median income of everybody else in Morris County, you are not in the top 10% of the world's wealth. You are not in the top 1% of the world's wealth. You are not in the top 0.1% of the world's wealth. You are richer than 99.9% of the world. If it makes you feel good, you're around the 5 millionth wealthiest person on the face of the earth. That doesn't sound too good to you realize there's 7 billion people on the face of the earth. You're doing pretty well now. You know, you might go ho 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 ho. <laughs> I do not, uh, Santa Claus. I do not. Um, I do not make hundred thousand dollars a year. My wife and I, that's not the way it is in our house, you, you've misidentified us. Okay, I get that, and I want to be fair and make sure we're getting the point, make sure we enter the story the right way. So I figure most of us are from Jersey, anyway, so I went and I found the poorest county, um, poorest, the, the, uh, the lowest household median income county in the state of New Jersey. Interestingly, interestingly enough, that's the uh, Cumberland County. Where is Cumberland County? It's like the forgotten county of New Jersey, right? And maybe that's why they have no money. I don't know. But the median household income in Cumberland County, New Jersey, is $51,000. It's pretty interesting. It's half of our median income. $51,000 shows you how stratified even New Jersey you know, is. $51,530. So we'll check that out. $51,530. Yeah, you misunderstood me, John. I'll make $100,000 a year. You're right, I have misunderstood you. You are only wealthier than 99.7% of the people in the entire world. Now, I sense that there's one or two of you out there that are going, you're still not getting it, John. You don't understand. Times are tough. I'm in school. Times are tough. I'm on disability. I got hurt. I can't work. Uh, Things haven't gone the way I want. You know, maybe I'm on a fixed income. I'm old, I'm retired, I'm only getting Social Security. So let's take a look at this and let's really, let's go for it, right? Uh, We're not gonna do household income. We're gonna do per capita income, okay? And per capita income means like everybody that's over 15 that could be working, kind of an individual person. And so we'll go and we'll, and this this is gonna lower everything, okay? So I'm really cutting the snot out of this as best I can so you understand it. This is like everybody from 15 to 100 years old you know, and you know from 15 to 18 they're probably not working, and from 70 to 100 they're not working, but we're still so we're going to lower this a lot. And we're going to go to the poorest town in New Jersey. Anybody have a guess the poorest town in the state of New Jersey? Camden. New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey. The, the per capita income in Camden, New Jersey is $9,815. Pretty interesting when we have $100,000 just an hour away, but $9,815? If you are the poorest person in the state of New Jersey, poor as defined by the government, you still are wealthier than 84% of the people in the entire world. Is anybody getting this? Who are you in the story? You're the rich guy. We don't like it. But come and enter the story with me. We're going to read two of them that Luke brilliantly puts right together back to back so we can compare and contrast. And here's two questions that are going to overlay this whole talk this morning. Two questions I want you to ask yourself. What do you want from God? What do you want from God? Why are you here? And here's the second thing. What is it that's keeping you from them? So let's enter the story, my rich friends. Luke 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. Jesus enters Jericho. Remember, conversations on the way. He's not in the temple, he's going down the street. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, if you have been around the church for any amount of time, you know this story, the story of Zacchaeus. If I were to hand everybody a card this morning and say, okay, describe, give me an adjective to describe Zacchaeus, what would be the number one answer? That he is a wee little man. This is why I'm telling you, we do grand adventures in missing the story, missing the point. There are lots of ways to describe who Zacchaeus was in this story. And the least important narrative, the least important piece here, is that he was short. So everybody under 5'8 should feel vindicated by this. This is not Jesus' condemnation of short people. It's the least important thing. But this is what we teach our kids. That's what they come home singing. There's two things that are important in this story. Some of you might have gotten that he was a tax collector. I don't know if you knew that off the top of your head. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. The most important part of this story is this. He was filthy rich. Zacchaeus was wealthy. Nobody came home when they were in third grade saying Zacchaeus was really loaded. Right? (laughs) We just know he's short. His grand adventures are missing the point. All right, so here's what he is. He, he's loaded, he's wealthy. Why does Luke include that? There's a reason he includes it, right? And here's the, in fact, he never says he's short, by the way. Um, he just says, he, because of the crowds, he couldn't see over the crowd. All right, so we know he's wealthy. Well, how do he get wealthy? Well, he's wealthy because he's a tax collector. See, if you think you don't like the IRS, there's a whole nother thing going on 2,000 years ago. He had gotten his wealth from everybody else in town. Many of you know the story, right? Uh, Jericho lived under, under the Romans, and so what the Romans would do in a, territories that they occupied is they would go into the town and they would appoint a tax collector for each town. Jericho was a, a pretty wealthy area, so the guy that was collecting taxes in Jericho was likely to make a lot of money. Now, you might say, well, how did he make money collecting taxes for the Romans? The way they did it was because they had the authority of Rome behind them, and the authority of Rome was essentially muscle, They would go in and they would say to people, they would tell them what they owe the Romans in tax. So so Zacchaeus was showing up all over Jericho to his fellow Jews' houses and he was saying to them, by the way, I'm here uh, on behalf of Rome and you owe Rome 10,000 whatever. All right, well, how do you know what you owe Rome? Nobody's printing a tax book. And so what everybody could do that was appointed tax collectors, they could show up and collect whatever it is they wanted, and then they only had to give back to Rome what Rome demanded of them. So if you're the tax collector and you're in a nice city, man, people are going door to door in your city, in your town, and saying, hey, you need to give me this money or Rome is going to show up here. Here's the amount of money. And then they just give to Rome what Rome wants, and they keep the difference. Tax collectors were not liked. They were considered traitors to their people. I mean, they were despised. Nobody wanted to hang out with them. I mean, you make this personal, right? This is somebody showing up at your house and you've been working all year and you live in a dilapidated little hut and they're showing up and they're taking away, you know, your kid's college savings so that they can live in the big house, the shiny house on the hill. He was a traitor. At least that's what the crowd that was there would have thought of him that morning. So what do we have? Let's define it. We have here what the crowd believes is a rich guy and he's a guy with a bad reputation. Uh, No doubt, some of it is deserved, but most of it is probably just reputation because of what he did for a living. This is someone of low reputation and likely could offer Jesus nothing. And Jesus is trying to start a ministry. If you're trying to start a ministry, would you want your first convert in town to be like the tax collector, that's who he should have walked by. I mean, he's a bad guy. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to go to church with him. He, he, he's not going to have any, any, any spiritual influence over people. He's a bad guy. For Jesus, there'd be nothing but guilt by association related to this. Now, let's enter the story, okay? And, and, and Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus has been oppressing us he's been taking our money and, and here comes Jesus our, our, our Messiah we've come to believe that Jesus is who he said he is and suddenly Zacchaeus is on the scene and, and we're good God-fearing Jews and we've kept the law all our life and Zacchaeus is interested in, in, in maybe hearing what Jesus is, is saying and what would we say to Zacchaeus what was said to you when you came to Christ does the church want Zacchaeus do we like is in the church You see, the truth is we don't. We like Zacchaeus to stay outside. And if he wants to come in, then what we usually do is list for him the things he needs to stop doing. I mean, Zacchaeus, you want to be part of us? I'm not sure I trust you, but before we let you in, before we let you kind of in, be part of us, you're going to have to stop this whole tax collecting thing. You have to do all this stuff, all these steps. We don't really want you around here, Zacchaeus. And, And so I'm working on this this week, and I'm thinking about how the church has and continues to do this to folks that are far from God. Clean up your act first, stop doing what you're doing, stop sinning, and then you'll be worthy of being part of our our tribe, right? And so I'm working on this this week. And uh, Friday night, um, uh, Courtney and I went to the local park by our house, um, and we were going to run hills together. I'm happy to say that because it makes it sound like I go and run hills all the time. But uh, this was the first time that Courtney and I have ever gone to run hills together. But uh, Joe went, and she was walking the dogs. That was manly of me to let my wife handle the dogs. And uh, Courtney and I were running up and down the hill. And in the parking lot, there was somebody that appeared strange. He was sitting there by himself. He was kind of walking around a lot. And uh, Courtney and Joan were a little bit intimidated by him because they were there by themselves, and this guy was there. And... um, I didn't think much of him. And when we started running our hills and uh, we got done with it and uh, it was time to go and he was still sitting there. So we had taken two cars. Jonah Courtney hopped into one car with the dogs. Of course, I got into my luxury automobile without having anything to do with the dogs. And uh, I go to back out my car and uh, as I do the K turn, I'm now right with this guy that's sitting with his car. And now he's got his door open and uh, my windows down because I am sweating like an absolute pig. And uh, I hear he's got some He's got a preacher on. The guy's talking about something from the Bible. I thought, that's interesting. So I start to drive away. I'm following right behind Joan and Courtney. And all of a sudden, God says to me, go back and talk to that guy. I hate when God says, go back and talk to that guy. (laughs) I hate it. I don't know if you've had these moments where you're like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. I'm sweating. Courtney and Joan are going to think something happened to me. I really, I'm going to keep going. And so I kept going. And God, you know, not audibly, but kind of in my spirit, God's going to go back and talk to the guy I'm going, Lord, I am not going back and talking to the guy. This guy's going to think I'm nuts. And I draw, I'm, I'm gone. I drove by him. And uh, so I kept going. And a third time for, some time, for some reason, he broke me on a third time, go back and talk to the guy. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. So I put the car. I turn it. Kate it again. And I drive back. And here I come, all sweaty. I pull up to the guy. And he looks at me. And I get out. And I'm a mess. And I walked up to him. And I said, hey, this is a crazy story. I said, uh, But uh, believe it or not, I I played the pastor card. I said, I'm a pastor here in town, and uh, I got to the end of the road, and God told me to come back and talk to you. So, uh, you know, I I notice you're listening to the scriptures on the radio. I just, I don't know, God told me to come talk to you, so I'm here. And uh, (laughs) I'm just dripping sweat, you know, and my hair is all standing up, and he looks at me, and... uh, he, he obviously was a person not of a lot of means. He didn't have a very nice car. And he was, the only way he could listen to uh, what he was hearing was on a little boom box he had in his car. His car radio wasn't even working. And it reminded me of that, if you know the scriptures, that story in Acts where Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, where, where the eunuch says, eh, Philip says, do you understand what you're listening to? And Phil, he, the Ethiopian eunuch goes, how can I unless somebody explains it to me? And he says, Pastor, maybe you can help me. He goes, uh, I'm trying to understand what this guy is talking about. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. and He's talking about, about grace and, and being forgiven by God. And he goes, I, I don't understand. He said, uh, I, I, I'm just riddled with guilt. I, I haven't been a very good person. And I've done a lot of stuff that I'm not proud of. And I, I've never heard anybody talk like this about God. He said, and I keep, I've been trying to go to churches. But when I go to churches and they find out my history and, and where I've been, they condemn me. There's, they, they, they don't want me there. And so I I stood with the guy for a while, and I just talked about who Jesus was and maybe what his misunderstanding of of God was and and how, look, you need to understand, God sent me back here to talk to you, and he loves you. And, and, you know, if you would would pursue after him like crazy, like, he just wants to be with you. And and he he was, you know, got emotional, and it was, I told him I needed to go before my wife called the cops, and, um, and I left. But see, this story is the same story. I mean, I just saw Zacchaeus in the Schoolies Mountain parking lot Friday night. And I'm a rich man. So let's jump ahead one chapter to where Luke brilliantly introduces us to another rich guy. This, this guy has come to be known uh, through history as the rich young ruler. Now, I've done a lot of uh, work on this. I've been uh, a lot of exegesis. I've been, I've been studying it. I've gone back and looked at the, at the ancient context of these words. And here's two things I've discovered about this guy the, the first is that he was rich, um, and the second was that he was a ruler of some kind. So, uh, that's all I have to offer for, to you on this, because that's apparently all there is to know about him. He is rich. And he has some kind of authority. Nobody knows what. Most of the scholars actually think he was some kind of a religious leader, that he had built up authority within the synagogue. He was either a scribe, maybe a Pharisee, maybe a lay person that had given a lot of money and had gotten some kind of position in, in the religion. Um, but here's it what, what is interesting. He was young. And to have this position in the synagogue, this is something else. Now, see, if you're trying to build a church... You don't really want Zacchaeuses. You want rich young rulers. That's who you build a church on, man. And so that's who this was, right? Now, here's something that's kind of interesting. Think about this with me for a minute, because I never thought about it until I was studying this. Anybody know what the rich young ruler's name is? Anybody? Nobody knows what the rich young ruler's name is? The reason you don't know what the rich young ruler's name is, he's never given a name. He's just a rich, young ruler, but we got the tax collector's name. We know the name of the outcast, the unseemly character, but we don't know the name of the religious guy. Hmm. Kind of interesting, right? Because this Jesus, you remember, he would... Later on, talk about a day that's going to come where people are going to come to him and they're going to tell him of all the religious works and all the religious duties and all the things they did in the town square in their life and they did it in his name. And Jesus is going to look look at them and say, depart from me. Why? Because I never knew you. He knows Zacchaeus. He doesn't know this guy. So the rich young ruler, here he comes, he's got the money, he's got the position, he's got the fame, he's got the reputation, I'm guessing he's good looking too, that's usually the way it happens, he's got the standing, the position, the authority, I mean, understand who this is, Jesus is building a a church, man, this is like Tim Tebow showed up for the service. Somebody said to me once, do you think, you know, if Tim Tebow, when he's playing for the Jets, if Tim Tebow came to your church, do you think anyone would notice? And I said, uh, yeah, they would notice, because we love the rich young ruler, I mean, think about it, right? If Brad Pitt came out tomorrow and confessed Jesus as his Savior and, and, and went on and on about how much he loved the Lord, I know half of us would be posting this on our Facebook page because we love the rich young ruler. We love to build the church around them, right? Not so much Zacchaeus'. So here's the first question I want you to think about today. Understanding what Jesus should, have, should do given the circumstances... We, the religious people, usually condemn Zacchaeus, repent, you're unworthy, change your ways, and we invite in rich young rulers. Understanding that's what we usually do. Here's what I want you to think about this morning. What, What did these guys want? What did they want from Jesus? What do you want? Why are you here? It's, you know there's bagels out there, right? You can be at the diner. Why are you here? What do you want? So that's the first question. What do you want? And so let's, let's go back and look at the story. Luke chapter 18. A, a certain ruler, this is the rich young ruler, this is how it starts. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What does he want? He wants to go to heaven. How many want to go to heaven? It's not bad. Now, it's interesting. The other gospel writers, and they're telling the story, they say he runs up, he drops to his knees, which is unusual. In fact, in fact he also calls te- Jesus a good teacher. And in the Greek, when he said a good teacher, he didn't mean that he was good at teaching. He meant that there's something inherently good about you, Jesus. I understand. I identify that you're kind of like God. There's something, there's something that you know that maybe you can help me with because you're intrinsically good. And so, so Jesus understands what this guy wants. He wants eternal life. He wants to go to heaven when he dies. He wants to know that for him, everything's going to be okay. Jesus, what I need to know, God, what, what I need to know is, how do I get from you what it is I need to do in order to get what I want? So, God, would you tell me, would you show me the system, would you show me the ways that you've set in place so I can get from you what I want because I want something over here. So what is it that I, I need to do to do this? I want to make sure there's a place reserved for me on the other side. I, you know, I'm a good person, Jesus, and I just want to make sure that I'm going to get into heaven. Maybe you could give me the last thing. That I'm missing I go to sleep at night. It doesn't feel right. I'm a little worried. Um, could, you, could you tell me what is it that I need to do to go to heaven? Now, let me ask you a question. If your friend, if your rich friend that you've been praying for that lives in town came up to you and said, you know what, I feel a little convicted. I'm starting to worry about what's going to happen to my soul when I die. Um, Could you tell me how to get to heaven? I mean, Tim, can you imagine Tim going, oh, yes, I went to church Sunday. Here's what you need to do. You need to sell everything that you have. And this is the way. Get rid of all of your stuff. And then, you know, that's what you need to do. If we heard somebody profess what Jesus says on the street, we'd call Jesus a heretic, wouldn't we? Don't listen to that guy. He's wrong. Because this is what Jesus understands. And he wasn't wrong. Jesus understands what's going on in this guy's heart. See, he wants the system. He wants to know just like you and I do. What do I need to do in order to get what it is that I want? What is the way? What's the plan? I've been trying to do it for myself, but it's not working for me. Can you give me another plan to get what it is that I want from you? I want want to work the system. I want to control my life. I've got a lot of money. I've done well position-wise. I've got some authority. I've got some power. I've got some fame. I'm not sure there's eternal life thing, so I've got to get that one under control. What do I need to do to get from you, Jesus, what it is that I want? Because I'd like to stay in control. So Jesus plays along with this brilliantly. He goes, okay, well, here's the deal. You know the commands. Um, you're, you're a ruler in the temple. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't steal. And you shouldn't give false uh, testimony. You should honor your mother and your father. This is fascinating. Have Anybody noticed what ones he skips right over? Anything having to do with the primary commands of loving God. About about not setting idols up before God. About not using his name in vain. He goes right to the don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. How many of you when you were introduced to Christianity and you said what is it that I must do now? The first things that you were told were here all the things that you can't do anymore. Jesus gives him the same thing. says, here, you shouldn't do any of these things anymore. Interesting, right? And so maybe even rightly, the young religious guy goes, Jesus, I don't think I'm going to say, God, I don't think you know who you're talking to. But look at me. I'm rich, I'm young, and I'm a ruler in the temple. Obviously, I've been keeping some of these laws or I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved. I've been doing all these things since I was a kid. I know the system. I know the plan. I've kept the law. There's got to be something else because I know I'm a good person, but I'm not getting it. I mean, I'm working the system, but is there something else I'm missing so I can be assured of this? Mark tells us something fascinating when he recounts the story in his gospel. He says that something happened right there when that rich young ruler said something. It says that Jesus paused and he looked at him and he loved him. He felt his, for him, he felt his lostness. Instead of going into some answer, uh, Jesus, there's something that rose up in in him uh, that felt compassion and love on this sincere but blind guy. His heart goes out to him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't correct him. In fact, he doesn't give him the right answer, at least as we would see it. Here's what Jesus does. Here's what Jesus always does. He goes right for the heart. Because he understands that there is something fatally flawed in this young man's understanding about what God wants from him. And because Jesus feels love for him, he does it in a way that might send this young man off searching. That might allow him to to examine his heart and his issues. And he gives him the absolute opportunity of a lifetime. The same offer that he made to Peter and to James and to John. He gives the same offer to the rich young ruler. When Jesus heard this, it says, he said, okay, well, you still lack one thing. Uh, you can almost see this guy going, hold on, he pulls out his Mont Blanc, right, and he gets out his leather portfolio, and he goes, all right, what is it? What am I going to do? And Jesus says, this is this is it. This is what you need to do. You need to sell everything you have, and you need to give it to the poor, and then you all have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. Did anybody explain the gospel to you that way? Wait, what? What? I. I was driving through morristown the other day and there was a guy on a box jesus and he said i just had to pray this prayer and that was it and like if i prayed that then i would go to heaven i thought that was the system i just wanted you to confirm it i'm what see i have a lot of stuff i mean i'm just i'm just trying to get this thing to work for me you see what i mean like what is it i need to do to get this to work for me because i just want to go to heaven i I really need to follow you know i get it and these guys that's cool but what do i need to do i just want to get in heaven Here's what Jesus knows about him. Here's what Jesus knows about us. He wanted to control and to get from God what he wanted. He wanted to go somewhere good when he died. See, Jesus is after, you need to understand this. This is where we're going over the next three months, and this will change the way you view God. Jesus was about something else. God wants more than anything. Our love and our loyalty, and he desires to be with you. Jesus did not come to establish another code of conduct. He didn't put forth an 11th commandment. He came to establish a relationship, not a destiny. There is far more to it than that. Jesus is saying to the rich people of the world you rich people of the world. He's saying, I'm inviting you, and I don't invite everybody, but I'm inviting you to follow me and discover eternal life. It's not a destiny. Eternal life is not a place. It's not somewhere you go when you die. It's a relationship. I'm inviting you in to a relationship with me, and it will roll on through eternity. But here's what I know. For rich people, this is very hard for you because your primary loyalty so often winds up being right here and right now. And in order to get into the relationship that I want to have with you, I have to separate you. I'm asking you to leave behind some of the things that are keeping you from me. And so Jesus signs a spotlight on this guy's heart. And he says, I see your treasure. I know your heart. I know what's keeping you from me. I'm going to show it to you. And so here's the second question. What's keeping you from him? What do you want from him? And what's keeping you from him? Because God is not about inventing for you a new routine to follow Him. He's about getting with you. God is not about... Please hear this. God is not about... I- issuing fire insurance policies so that you can buy one and put it on your shelf and say, well, I did that. I prayed that. Now I'm going to go to heaven. I'm, I'm good. God is not about, His primary focus for you is not about managing your future. God's primary focus for you is not about your eternity. God's goal and desire for you is not heaven. Maybe you've never heard a preacher say that before. God's goal and desire for you is not heaven. It's Him. It's Him. That's what he wants for you. God's goal for you is not heaven, it's him. Later on, Jesus makes this clear. He says in John 17, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God's desire for you is him, and we keep coming to him for something else. And in that moment, the successful, young, brilliant, good-looking, respected, wealthy, charismatic winner, he learns something about himself. He sees something in his soul that his primary ambition wasn't about God. His primary ambition, really, as he looked at it likely, was not even about eternal life. His primary ambition was to stay in control of what was going on in his life and to get God to do what he wanted him to do. And he realized that his wealth owned him. Think about what happens here. He looks at Jesus, the Son of God. He looks at Jesus, the Son of God, and he, he goes, I, no, I'm good. No thanks. Jesus, as he looks at him with love and compassion, he's got to be thinking, no, 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 no. no. You don't understand hey, your stuff. It's meaningless. I mean, I don't even want it, really. It has nothing to do with me, it's, but it's got a hold on you. If you would let it go, I'm making you the offer of a lifetime. I mean, you can't, you can't come with me and drag all that stuff with you. I, I'm telling you, come with me. I'm making you the same offer I made the disciples. Do you know who these guys are? Have you met, have you met these guys? These guys are going to write books. People are going to know about them for 2,000 years. Their name is going to be on statues and walls everywhere. You know, in 2,000 years, people are still going to be naming their kids after these guys, and they won't even... Remember your name. What keeps you from him? Problem is still the same. The rich young ruler walks away, and he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus, he says, I got too much. I'm too busy. Jesus, I don't know where you are in there. Sometimes when God is calling you to things, when he's calling you into this relationship, which is all he's really ever called you to, I'm too busy for it, God. Not right now, God. Lord, if I were to give you my heart, it might mean something about this other relationship on earth. And I don't want to give that one up because that one's more important. And he was sad. But he was okay with it. What do you want from him? And what's keeping you from him? You know the story Jesus goes on to tell the disciples? He says, look... And looks at the, the rich young ruler. He says, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is not because God does not like the rich. This is, because God, this is not because God says there's anything wrong with rich being rich. All God says is it's really dangerous. He says it's really dangerous. It's so dangerous it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for somebody who's rich to enter the kingdom of God because they love their stuff. Rich people in the room this morning, which is everybody in here breathing, I know there's a tension that gets created when this story gets told, but we need to heed the warning. Nothing, 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 according to the scriptures, nothing competes with your love for God more than your stuff. And Jesus knows it. Get it. Jesus doesn't want your stuff. This isn't about giving more money to the church. In fact, Jesus says, go give it to the poor. He he doesn't have a place to sleep, but he's not saying he wants it. He's saying, I know your heart. I need your heart. You need to go separate. You need to get rid of that stuff that's keeping you from me. I want your love. Here's what I know about people that are in love. When you're in love with someone, your stuff doesn't matter. When you're in love with someone, your stuff doesn't matter. When I was running hills with Courtney the other night, we were going up the hills, and here comes this boy, and he's got a bouquet of flowers with him. And so when we got to the top, we were walking down, and Courtney looked over me, and she goes, I know that kid. She said, I went to high school with him. She said, he's been dating the same kid since middle or same girl since middle school. She goes, he's going to get engaged in the, in the woods. And so uh, we watched him walk off with the flowers into the woods. And a few minutes later, um, here comes this young girl with her friend, and she probably has no idea, and they walked off into the woods. Now, see, when you're in love, your stuff doesn't matter. When you're not, your stuff matters a lot. Uh, let me give you an example. When I started dating Joan, I was uh, working at Sizzler. I was coming in, I was living large, right? Making about $2.20, uh, 220 an hour or something like that, and uh, all the tips you could buy Malibu chickens at with at Sizzler. And, uh, but first Valentine's Day came comes, and we have pictures. I sent Joan like a six-foot teddy bear and a four-foot chocolate heart and all the rest. I dropped it all. I didn't have any money. Why? Because I was in love and my stuff didn't matter. And so you know, we got married and we had these kids, and, um, and many of you know I was in the investment industry before I, I got into pastoring. And, and in the investment stuff, like you'll make an investment, but you might not get a return on it for 10 years. And so, but when you get a return, you get a, you get a nice check because it's 10 years worth of work, right? That comes. You spread it out over 10 years, it's not impressive, but when you get it in one check, it's nice. And I got that first big check, and it was my wife's 40th birthday, and it was a lot of things I wanted. Um, I was driving an 88 Toyota Corolla um, at the time with no air conditioning. I used to have to take my shirt off in the parking lot, you know, when nobody was looking so I could drive home in my undershirt because it was so hot in the car. And, uh, but, but I was in love, and the check didn't matter. And I knew, knew I wanted to do something really special for Joan, so I bought her used, but I bought her a, for her birthday a little uh, convertible because I, I was in love. My stuff didn't matter. We do this all the time. If you're not maybe with a spouse, you do it with your kids. I mean, do you know what your credit card bill is at the end of Christmas, right? Right? I know I do it with my kids. You know how I know? Because when my first kid got old enough to get a car and we didn't have money to buy her a car, we sold that little convertible and bought her a Hyundai. Because when you are in love, your stuff doesn't matter. What do you want from him? What's, What's keeping you? from being with him. So as we get ready to close, here's what I want you to see. Let's go back to the Zacchaeus story because Luke puts them right next to each other. It's fascinating. There's so much in the Zacchaeus story. It's a whole other sermon and I can't go into it. But here's Zacchaeus. Here's Jesus on the road in verse 19 or chapter 19. He enters Jericho. He's passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and he was loaded. Here's my question for you. What... The rich young ruler wanted a way to get to heaven, right? What did Zacchaeus want? Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. That's it. Oh, that you and I would come to him and say, Jesus, all I want from you is you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you. I want to laugh with you. I want to cry with you. I want to love you. Jesus, I just want to be with you. I want you to know my name. This is the same Jesus who said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. The nameless, rich, young ruler, he understood that. And wealth, that was the real issue for him, but it wasn't for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' stuff did not keep him away. The story goes on, right? Lots of stuff should have kept Zacchaeus away. He had a lot of riches. There's some physical issue going on, right? He's, he's a short guy, I guess, because he can't see over people, right? So he, maybe there's a physical thing going on. There's some danger there, right? If you're a tax collector and you show up and there's a big crowd there, that's probably not the safest place to be for a trader and a turd coat and a lech. That's not a good place to go. And he's a dignified man. The scripture says he runs down the street and he climbs a tree. Why? Why? What does he want? He just wants to be with Jesus and nothing, not his stuff, not his physical disability, not his shame. Nothing can keep him from Jesus. And the people began to mutter and they said he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, here it is. I'm giving half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay it back four times. Because when you fall in love, your stuff doesn't matter. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. So as we gather around, I'm going my elders to come forward. And we're going we're to gather around the communion table this morning. And the band's going to come. Up.